The following program is a production of the Fairfax Network, Fairfax County Public Schools. to meet the author. I'm your host, Emily Godfrey. I am thrilled today to introduce our guest, New York Times bestselling author, Jason Reynolds. Hooray, thank you. <laughs> Some of Jason's award-winning book titles are The Boy in the Black Suit, As Brave as You, All American Boys, Ghost, Patina, and many more. Also joining our studio discussion are students from Fairfax County Public Schools. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> So Jason, I'm a librarian, and as a librarian, I did some research for this interview, and I found out that you were once a reluctant reader, and that you used to give away or put aside your books to read later, <laughs> any gifts that you were given? For sure. I, reluctant, I think, is uh, a bit generous, actually. I think, I think for me, I just wasn't a reader. I, I don't, there was no reluctance about it. It was, it was um, I, I was insistent about not reading. Right, and the reason why is because the books that I was given, right, I was given Christmas Christmas presents every year from my aunt who would give me these books as if that's a good Christmas present, right? When you're like five and six and seven, right? And I get it, I know we're supposed to be promoting this, but right, when I was right, a kid, right. it's like, oh, I want toys, I want yeah. toys and toys, right? Um, and I had this aunt who would give me these books, but they were only the classics. Mm. Um, and so like Treasure Island or Little Women or Moby Dick, and, and when, you're, when you're eight years old, yeah. Um, and you're growing up in a community where none of those things make any sense to you, uh, I, I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested. I wanted to read about like the ice cream truck. But there were no books about the ice cream truck. No, I think that's something that a lot of kids feel. Like they want to see themselves in books. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I put them to the side. Um, and left them to the side for a very, 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 very long time. Well, you mentioned something about wanting to see yourself in books, like your community. And I was just wondering, um, a lot of our students might not know that you grew up relatively nearby in Washington, yeah. D.C. And how has that impacted your stories? I mean, growing up, it's, it's weird. I, I, I think for me, more than anything, there's texture to the neighborhoods that I grew up in. There's texture, there's, there's an energy, and there's, there are cultural codes, right? You know uh, Mrs. Whitaker next door, and you know uh, Mrs. Norris, the school teacher, and you know that she doesn't take no stuff from nobody on the block, right? And you knew um, Lenny up the, up, up the street who suffered from schizophrenia, but he was a part of our community. Mm -hmm. so, we, so we looked out for him, we loved him, even though he would talk to himself and recite movie, movie scripts. Right, every single part of the movie, just talking to himself. For us, it was like that guy's amazing because he's one of us because he lives here, so we protect him, right? And I think that's what you're seeing in a lot of these books. You're seeing, um, you're seeing the fiber, the fibers of the fabric, right? It's not just sort of like here's a community clothed in this thing. It's more like here's a community clothed in this thing, and here are the fibers of that fabric that is clothing them, so that we can better understand the beauty and the details of of neighborhoods like mine so that I could see it, right? And if I could see it and if I wanted to see it, then I know other people wanted to see it too, 
Um, and, and so that's, that's really how it affected me more than anything. I mean, plus there's a little edge there. You know, and anybody who's read any of my books knows that these books are, um, they're not clean, they're not sanitized. It's like, no, there's gonna be a little edge, there's gonna be something that's a bit jagged, right? Something that's sort of um, a, little, a little left of center because that was my life and that's my neighborhood and those are the neighborhoods that I still love. And you can really see that in your characters. They all fit together in For all sure. the books. You can see how tightly woven they are and how they all have to be there and they all have a purpose in their community. Absolutely. So um, we are going to move to some of our students. They like to join our conversation as well. So let's get started with Michael. What is your question for Mr. Reynolds? Hi, so I finished reading Miles Morales and I'm currently reading The Boy in the Black Suit. And mm -hmm. I noticed in both of them there are characters named Alicia and I was wondering if that name is significant to you and in what way is it? Wow, that's super, super poignant of you. Um, nope. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? It's like, uh, it's funny because I thought about that recently. I didn't think about that when I was writing Miles Morales, though. Um, it's, there are names that have stuck. And if you are a child of the 80s, which you are not, but if, if, if you know, I am. Exactly, yes. right? Your folks probably are, were children of the 80s, right? There were certain names, right? Jennifer, Renee, Alicia. Like these are names that um, were just really, really popular during that time. Jason, John, Christopher, Brandon, you know, William. Uh, and then if you were in a black neighborhood, you had like Arabic and Muslim names were huge, right? So like Rashad, um, Malik, Jamal, uh, Khalif. These were names, Shamika, Tamika. Like these, Lakeisha, uh, Alicia, which is actually, right? These are names that I just grew up around. And so they're kind of, they kind of stuck to me, you know? It's funny because when it comes time to pick names, I have like six of them, right? And then I'm like, I gotta, I gotta find some new names. <laughs> I gotta, but in, my, but in my mind, it's like there are six names, right? <laughs> Which is why Alicia sort of shows itself more than once. I gotta do better. But uh, that, that, that actually is an interesting thing that was honestly just an oversight. But I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> it's just very interesting for me to see that. <laughs> Okay, so um, I was wondering in When I Was the Greatest, how you went about in incorporating a realistic portrayal of Tourette's syndrome in your character. Uh, that's a good question. So I've had many jobs, right? I, I've worked in sort of coffee shop and then bookstores and I worked in schools um, uh, and uh, clothing stores. Um, and one of those jobs was I was a caseworker, which is why uh, Ali's mother works in a clothing store and is a social worker, right? That's the reason why, is because I, those were two jobs that I had um, in the midst of a ton of other gigs until I figured out how to do this, right? And while I was a caseworker, I had 27 clients on my caseload dealing with all types of mental differences. Um, and it was a fascinating job because what the job forced me to do was be around human beings that were not like me um, in terms of the way that they viewed the world. We have to be very careful about the way we talk about what we say ment mental illness is and, and talk about it as a difference because not everyone is mentally ill. Uh, it's just the way that they view the world is different from you, right? And so I had clients, 27 clients ranging from bipolar mania to schizophrenic to uh, drug, drug addicts and, and uh, former convicts and um, I mean all kinds of people who have done some terrible things but aren't necessarily terrible people. And my job was to humanize those who the rest of society has and, can, and will continue to vilify and to make sure that I can help them do everything they can to be productive members of society despite what they had done or despite who they were. Um, and I had kids who 
struggle with Tourette's. And Tourette's is interesting, right? Tourette's is interesting for a few reasons. One, because it, it only affects, it doesn't affect the way you think. It just affects the impulse um, when it comes to speaking. But it doesn't, like, the brain is working. It's functioning in terms of, like, thought process, critical thought, uh, uh, decision-making. All that's firing off just fine. It's just about whether or not you can control the impulse when it comes to the outburst and involuntary tics. Um, and so that's where the whole thing comes from. The other thing about it is I wanted to figure out a way to take Lenny in my neighborhood, this, this schizophrenic buddy that I grew up with, and to show that in many neighborhoods around America, we have people with mental differences who, who are are still a part of the quilt that is our community, right? And that, and that, and that we, can, we can tease him, you just better not tease him, right? It's like, when it, when in my neighborhood it was like, we were like, look at Lenny over there, we laugh and joke with Lenny and, and pick at him, and then a new person would move in and call the cops, and, and we would flip, right? My mother would run outside and it'd be a whole thing, right? And so I wanted to also show that one neighborhood can have several different kinds of people and still be a united, uh, community, United Neighborhoods. That's where he, he comes from, Needles. Shout out to Needles, I love Needles. <laughs> Thank you. So this has been a great discussion. Chrissy, I know you have a question. Hi, what do you focus on when you're like doing character development and like fitting other characters to the main character? Uh, good question. You know, I, so I have this theory about teenagers. And the theory is that teenagers are, like, we, we speak about young people in this really, and when I say we, I mean adults, in this really strange, dismissive way, right? And we say, we ask questions that I think are dismissive and are uh, limiting and are unfair a lot of times. One of the questions that I really can't stand is, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? I think it's such a silly thing to ask. I understand the root of that question, but I think a better question is, what do you want to be, like, right now? Who do you want to be today? Right? And, and better yet, who are you today? Because who you are at 15, at 16, is whole, right? It's a whole 16-year-old, right? It's a whole 15-year-old, right? And I think we, we talk about teenage life as if it's like, uh, it's like, oh, you're almost there, you're not quite whole yet, but you will be when you're 20. And when you get 20 and you're like, oh, you will be when you're like 25. Oh, wait till you get to 30, then you'll really figure out how to be a whole person. When the truth is, you're whole in every single part of the, Every, every single step. And so my job is when, when I'm writing these characters and when I'm adding the secondary and tertiary characters to sort of figure out how to um, fortify the, the protagonist, it's all about making sure that every single character is 100%. Every single character is a whole person, which means every single character has to have struggle and every single character has to laugh, right? Every character has to cry and they have to laugh, all of them. They all have to have trouble and they all have to have triumph. I've never met a teenager who's had a hard life who, who, that was so hard that he or she did not laugh, ever. I've never known a young person who didn't find, uh, who didn't find humor in hardship, ever. Right? And there's so much to learn from that. And I think sometimes we're like, man, it's either young people, all they want to do is, is laugh and not pay attention to anything important, or young people, all they are is doomed. 
And it's a strange thing when the reality is that almost everybody I've ever met is somewhere in that sweet spot where it's like, man, I'm not sure if like I've got my issues and life is tough and there's family stuff and there's my mom yelling to me, like yelling at me about social media and the dangers of it and school is hard and I'm being bullied in school and I got this going on and that going on. And then that same kid is like, but when I get around my friends, all we do is laugh and we joke and we read Harry Potter or we go to the basketball court or we do each other's hair or we tease our little brothers and all this other, that part of your life is just as important. And so I think about all of that for every single character that seems like they don't matter, but the truth is that it's in their wholeness that the protagonist becomes more whole, right? They are the ones feeding the protagonist to make sure the protagonist is fortified and buttressed to be an actual person. Everybody around them matters matters in order for that to be the case. You don't matter unless I, like, think about who you are, right? It's this funny, and I, I wrap it up, and they're probably like, what? It's this funny thing about uh, Alfred Hitchcock, famous filmmaker, right? If you guys don't know who he is, tisk tisk tisk. Uh, <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock, right, has this famous quote. He says, the human face does not exist until I shine light on it, right? A person is not a person until I put light on that person, right? Which means that no matter how great you are, until I understand all that is shining around you, right, I won't necessarily understand you. I have to know the rest of the things happening, satelliting around you, orbiting you, to understand you. And that's what I try to do with the characters. All right, Trey, I believe you have a question for Mr. Reynolds. So in Ghost, the, when Castle was walking, the coach saw potential in him. Um, has anyone, like an adult or a coach, saw potential in you? Did you, can, oh, did you relate to that? Yeah, man. <laughs> so I had this coach. So, and when I was, so first of all, the coach in Ghost, which is Coach Malloy, right? Mm -hmm. That was a basketball coach I had. Uh, whose name was, uh, his name's Coach Brody, I mean, in that book. And the, and the basketball coach, the name was Coach Brody, drove a cab, and he would drive us around in his cab, right? And we all felt special because we were in a cab. We were kids in the back of a cab, like, yo, this is what it's like to be grown, <laughs> right? Uh, and he'd drive us around, and so like, that's a real person who was there for me. And also, and when I was the greatest, there's Malloy, who's the boxing, the boxing coach up the street. He was a basketball coach in real life, and he had this big, um, what we used to call a party van, a big old Astro van, which is the vans back in the day from like the 70s with the TV in it, and yep. like it's a whole thing. And he would pick all the kids up in the neighborhood, and a lot of us didn't have fathers in the home. And so he'd pick us up, we'd get in this van, and in this van, he would let us say anything we wanted to say. So like we'd be cussing and everything, right? It'd be great, right? We'd just be kind of on there talking crazy. And in the van, it was a safe space. It was a space for us to figure out who we were and to express ourselves without any sort of, uh, with any sort of like parental, you know, down pressing. Nobody was there to say, don't, don't say that or don't talk like that. In that van, we could say anything. And he would drive us around, he would take us to the court, he would teach us all kinds of, he gave us all kinds of terrible advice. Um, <laughs> but it, but it, it changed me and it helped me sort of, you know, grow up and be a better person. So there were those two, and then there was a lot of people. I had, things got funky at certain points in my life, but there was always somebody there. Mm -hmm. Just one, and in all the books, right? Mr. Ray and the mm -hmm. boy in the black suit, uh, you know, is, is that same sort of character. I mean, Teeth Man and As Brave As You is that same kind of character. Uh, you know, the father in Miles Morales is that same kind of character, and all of his friends is that same kind of character. I mean, every book has that one guy who's like, I see what's happening, and I got my hand on you. Um, and I had those people in my life, for sure. The community members oh, that yeah. are there to reach out and be part of your extended family. Definitely, yeah. definitely, yeah. Yeah, Andrew, I think you had a question next. How'd you come up with the idea with the Ghost series? 
So, okay, so. Uh, all right, so here's the truth. I was offered this, I was given an opportunity to write a, a different series about um, a basketball team. And I was a little put off by that because, um, because black kids do more than play basketball, to be quite frank with you, right? Black and brown kids do more than just play basketball. And it's always this like, you should write about basketball. And it's like, we have really good basketball books, mm -hmm. right? We have all of Walter Dean Myers's books. We have Kwame Alexander's books. We have Phil Bildner's books. We have tons of basketball books. I don't wanna write. It's the same reason Rashad doesn't play basketball on All American Boys, intentionally, right? We have enough of that. And so I wanted to figure out a way to spin that and say, well, what are, what are some other sports that we could talk about that I think I could unpack a, a little more and kind of dive into a little more? And so I chose track because, one, because the first sport anyone plays is running. We all race before we do anything else, right? The first competition when it comes to athleticism is who can run the fastest. All of us experience the same thing, right? Who can run the fastest? The second thing about that is running in and of itself. Like, think about it. All of you, I'm sure, have run, right? It's a terrible feeling. <laughs> it, it feels horrible, right? Because what's happening to your body when you're running is basically it's fighting against suffocation, mm -hmm. right? Your body is trying not to suffocate. That's what's happening to you, right? That's why, that's why most adults don't run, because we're like, mm, I know better than that. <laughs> it feels like I'm dying, and I don't want to die, right? No. And, so, and so that's what it is, right? And so, but, but think about that now in the framework of like what it means to be a teenager, right? There are so many teenagers who, who literally feel like they, they've grown comfortable with the idea of suffocation. Every day in school, if you have a bully or if, or if school is complicated for you because you have a learning difference or whatever it is, it feels like suffocation. Every day you feel your lungs sort of like contracting and everything in your body becoming tight. And in order for you to succeed, you've gotta basically get over the discomfort and fight through the discomfort in order for you to do anything in life. That's literally what mm -hmm. your lives are right now. It's what mine was when I was your age. Funny thing is, it's what mine is now, still. Right? It never goes away, it just becomes a new kind of race you have to run. Right? Now I gotta figure out, every time I put one of these books out, the discomfort of knowing that one of you might dislike it. What does that feel like? And I still gotta push through and run that race regardless, because I know what it feels like to get, get on the other side of that finish line. Right? Or when I'm writing these books, I never know what's gonna happen. It feels like I'm drowning. It feels like I'm out of breath all the time. My body is breaking down, right? My, my metaphorical body is breaking down and I'm not sure I have the stamina to complete another book and then I do. And it feels so glorious to get to the finish line. This is life. And so I figured if I could talk about track, I could, I could really talk about a lot of things I, I, I would love to discuss more. It's a little harder to discuss when you're dealing with a sport like basketball. The other thing about track to just round off your question is it's, the, it's one of the only sports where you're only competing with yourself. The people who are running mm -hmm. next to you are only running next to you as inspiration and because we don't want to see 50 individual races. But the truth is, <laughs> when you look at the track meet, the coach has a stopwatch, not the time everybody else, just the time you. You're running against your best time. You're running against you. You're your only competition, right? That's the beauty of this particular sport and what I could say in terms of a statement, right, using this sport as a framework to talk about young life. In the book Ghost, he, it, it was really interesting to hear what you had to say because it felt like he felt suffocated in all of the other areas of his life as well. Is that a theme that you think you'll continue with through this series as you explore other 
It changes. It changes, right? So, I mean, running is a, such a broad term. What does it mean to run from something? What does it mean to run towards something? What does it mean to run something? Which is what you see in Patina, right? Patina runs the family, mm-hmm. right? She feels, she feels the necessity to be responsible, right? To run the lives, to run the, the entire family. She feels that weight. Um, and so you'll see all these different iterations of what it means to run in every single book. Yeah. Um, Toria, I think you had the next question. Hi, um, so my question was, what inspired you to write the book, All American Boys? You know, Tori, I, that book is, uh, look, look, the obvious answer is these things are happening, right? And, and you all know this. Um, your generation is fully aware uh, about what's going on uh, in our country on all the different fronts, right? You have social media, which is something that we didn't have growing up. And so because of that, you all are more astute politically and news-wise than we ever were. My mom would be like, you should watch the news. And I was just, I'm like, ain't nobody watching no news? Like, it's so boring. That, that was me. You all are getting the news and, and like these like tidbits and bites and, and Snapchats and Instagrams and all the, this sort of really consumable and accessible and sometimes dangerous, uh, but sometimes not, right, way. And because of that, I think that Brendan and I felt obligated to make sure that when it comes to the, the issue of police brutality, um, and the issue when it comes to prejudice in general, whether it be about brutality or, or racism or uh, systemic racism or religious, uh, uh, you know, be, being intolerant about religion, all the things that we're dealing with, right, that we all know we're dealing with, we felt like the, the one demographic left out of the discussion were young people. It's all these old people talking about it, right? Every time I turn the news on, there's two old, usually old men sitting at a desk screaming at each other about who's right and wrong. And no one is saying, I wonder what the teenagers are thinking. Wonder what they're, I wonder how they feel about it. Have we asked them lately, right? Have we, have we asked them if they're afraid or if they're hopeful or if they have answers or if they have ideas? Have we tapped that world yet? Or, do we, or, or once again, do we continue to dismiss you all and wait for you to become something in 10 years from now, instead of saying, Let, let's see what they think. Maybe they know about what's happening, and maybe they have at least an expression toward how they feel about it, even if they don't have answers. We should at least hear maybe how they feel, because it's affecting their lives. Some of these people who are dealing with these things are your age, right? When, when it happened to me, when I had my own run-in, I was 15 the first time, right? I watched my, my 18-year-old buddy deal with it. I mean, I did, we, 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 I've been through these things, right? I've seen these things. And uh, as an adult and as someone who loves you, um, it, it, it seemed like just a responsibility to at least try to put together a narrative to not give any answers, but to ask more questions. So. Thank you. And I just wanted to let you know we have three more students cool. um, who have questions. So Michelle, I believe your question is next. Um, Castle struggles often with other people's perception of him. Do you have any advice for teens or other people who also have, are like worried about what people think? Of course, of course. First of all, it's human. So be forgiving of yourself, right? It's human, right? Listen, I wish I could tell you at 34 years old that I didn't care what other people thought about me, but I read every book review. Scared to death. It matters, right? So I understand it. On the flip side, what I will say, what I always tell young people is, um, for the rest of your life, people are gonna tell you to be somebody else. You should just know that going, going as you continue to grow, just know that this doesn't, it doesn't stop, right? Like, and it's okay, it doesn't stop though. There's gonna be, they're gonna say that you're not the right color 
or you or you don't come from the right family, even if you come from a great family, right? That you don't have the right hair or the right weight, you're not the right size, you got the wrong shoes on, you speak the wrong language, you speak the wrong kind of English, you, you come from the wrong neighborhood, you come from the wrong city, you come from the wrong country, you come, it's always going to be something, right? No matter who you are, people are gonna tell you that you're supposed to be or you're better off as someone else. And so I always tell people that though I love that there are so many young people who, who love the narratives that I write and love my stories, it's more important that you all figure out now how to love your own, right, now. Make that decision now. It doesn't mean that it's, that it's gonna get any easier, but you've gotta be okay, right? Even on, in the moments that like, like for instance, meditation is, yoga and meditation are now like the biggest things happening in America for adults, right? It's like, <laughs> good Lord, everybody is like in a yoga studio stretching, right? And the interesting thing about those sort of practices is they tell you that like you're supposed to clear your head, right? But that but that you're not supposed to like don't be but but, but to be okay with the fact that you're going to think about things. And when you think about them, think about them and then let them go, right? And so the same thing applies to your lives when it comes to you accepting your story and accepting who you are in its totality, knowing for a fact that there's going to be outside forces that say you should be more than that. And in those moments you 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 can have your moment to be upset about those things and then let it go and go back to loving you and loving your story. If I knew that when I was your age, it wouldn't have taken me so long to be okay with myself. Thank you. Um, Emma, I believe you have a question. What motivated you to become a writer and an author? You know, I, I didn't necessarily want to do this. I didn't know, I didn't grow up reading any books. I didn't read any books until I was almost 18 years old. Um, it was, for me, rap music was everything. Right, rap music saved my life, and I like to make sure I always make sure people know that because I'm not ashamed of that. And I think, you know, rap music has all kinds. People have all kinds of opinions about it, and all those opinions are valid. But for me, and for the majority of my generation, especially if you were coming from marginalized communities and communities of color, rap music was like literally salvation for us because the books that you all are reading now, the books, this, this expansive sort of library you have mm -hmm. with all these books, with all these topics and all this diversity and all this stuff, that wasn't the case, right? So when I was a kid, we were reading like anything written from the 50s, 60s and 70s, but I grew up in the 80s. I grew up with like the three major, the three major sort of benchmarks of my time, specifically in my community was like crack cocaine, HIV and rap music. And there were no books about any of those issues. Zero, right? You guys get to read you today, right? That wasn't the case for me. And so I grew up wanting to be, wanting to, I studied rap lyrics, right? I studied Queen Latifah and I studied Tupac lyrics and I, I read the liner notes and was seeing what they were doing with language. And from there, sort of put together this idea that maybe these rappers are doing the same thing as the poets they're teaching me in school, even though no teacher ever told me that. So maybe I can just do this. And so that's what I did. I wrote poems forever. I wanted to be the next Langston Hughes. Um, and it wasn't until I was 26, 27, that I felt like I had permission to tell my stories because a buddy of mine said, you know, you could just put your own language on the page. You could put it on the page the way you speak it, right? You guys are talking to me now, the books will sound, now the books will sound much more familiar now that you've spoken to me because it's just me. It's the same voice, literally my voice on the page. Uh, and, and once I got that permission, I started to tell my own, these are all my stories. Ghost is a true story about one of my best friends that happened to him, right? Or like these are all like, I, when I was the greatest is about my older brother, Alan, right? As Brave As You is about me and my older brother, Jason Eugene Reynolds and Alan Ernest Reynolds, Jeannie and Ernie hanging out with their blind grandfather. This is all true. These are all my personal mm -hmm. stories. Once I felt permission to do that, I was like, oh, maybe I can do this, right? 
I'm not Toni Morrison or James Baldwin, I, and I always felt like I had to be because that's what was taught to me in school. But once I let that go and said, but I am me, and that's got to mean something. Uh, and once I figured out what that meant and put that authenticity on the page, life changed forever. And then I realized I could give to you all what I did not have. And that sort of fueled the fire. And our final question from Ms. Kainat. Um, my question was, what would be your advice for someone who's going to college or, you know, going out into the real world? Yeah. That my, my advice for anyone who's going to college or going on into the real world, two things. Number one, uh, process before progress. This is a mantra I live by. Process before progress, which just means there are no shortcuts. There are steps to everything. And so... <laughs> Your generation is probably the most brilliant generation to ever live. Unfortunately, you all don't know that, uh, which is the problem. Second of all, the other issue, uh, and I say this lovingly, the other issue is if the, if the spectrum from beginning to end is from one to 10 when it comes to like getting to the level you wanna be at, right? You all basically come in at five, right? Because of the convenience of information. You come in at five, get to 10, but have skipped steps one through four and usually have to backtrack can't hold on to what's at 10, right? And so what I would just suggest is, don't be afraid of step one through four, right? Even though you know you can come in at five, please believe it will not serve you. It will not serve, there is no skipping steps. And number two, excellence is a habit, a habit. You can't choose to turn it on and turn it off. Either you are going to be excellent or you are not. And you have to think about it that way. Everything in your life, everything you decide to do has to be your personal excellence. It doesn't mean that it has to be perfect. It means it has to be your personal best at all time because it needs to become a habit for you to do everything to the best of your ability. If you do that, success is inevitable, right? Happiness is inevitable. This idea that like all I know is to give all I have to the things that I choose to love. How can you lose? Right? How can you lose? And instead of, instead of arguing or being afraid of that which is hard, because that's what happens. I meet kids that are like, Mr. Jason, but it's just so hard. Easy and hard is irrelevant. irrelevant. That's an irrelevant conversation. The only thing that matters is are you going to do it or are you not? And if you're not, stop talking about it. Right? That's it. Whether it's easy or hard, doesn't matter. Everything's hard. Get over it. All that matters is, are you down to do it, or are you not? If you keep that in mind, you'll be all right. Well, Jason, we're almost out of time. Oh. But, bef but before we go, <laughs> I was wondering if you have any last bit of advice about writing or, or life for these students. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, um, look, my job is to tell you all to read and write. So read and write, you know. Um, but, but, but furthermore, I, I want you to, it, within reading and writing, it isn't just about reading and writing. It, it, it's about engaging with humanity. It's about perpetuating empathy, right? I, des I and I, when I say I, I'm speaking of the collective we, right? And by that, I mean all, everybody on earth needs your generation to be more empathetic than mine. We need you all to be more open, more compassionate, than my generation and the generations before me it is a necessity right now in our world. And, the, and one of the best ways to do that, because not everybody has the resource to travel the world or to you know, meet people in Turkey or meet people in Pakistan, right? One of the best ways to do that is to read. It breaks down barriers in a very real way. It takes you places that you might not be able to get to, but it helps to humanize the people that we fear so, so terribly. 
right? It humanizes people. And so I, I beg you all to keep reading and writing for that reason, for that reason alone. Uh, other than that, all I gotta say is I love you. And I always tell y'all that I, I tell young people all the time I love you because you need to hear it from somebody that doesn't know you because I ain't gotta know you to care for you. And you all don't have to know people to love them. Remember that as well. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure getting sure. to, to be with you and, and hear your questions, guys. It's been wonderful. I appreciate y'all. Thank y'all so much. Yeah. For more information about Jason Reynolds and his books, visit his website. For more information about the Fairfax Network and our upcoming programs, visit our website. For the Fairfax Network, I'm Emily Godfrey. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep dreaming.